Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is so good to see you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to see you. It is good to see you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for what we feel. Thank you for the hope that you have put within us. Thank you for the word, a living word that is alive and active in our life. Lord, today we celebrate you and your resurrected power and that resurrecting power for us too. And God, we're here with our ears open. God, our spirit ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. There's a woman from Kentucky. Uh, she was a very faithful Christian woman. However, her husband wasn't so faithful. He was in church and he was out of church. He'd show up for a while, wouldn't show up for a while. He was in, he was out. And one revival time, the church was praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they were praying, she said, Lord, be careful, he leaks. And I think we all have uh, been around that person. So when I say something like revival or uh, spiritual renewal or spiritual awakening, what comes to your mind? Is it a series of uh, night events where we come together to have service or could it be a prayer meeting or something along those lines? How do you remember when we used to have revivals for a week or two? I, I can remember those times and uh, today it's very hard to get people to show up consistently. We have ball and dance and karate and all kind of stuff that we have to go to. And, and I think that uh, revival is even more than a series of meetings. I think it's a lifestyle. And I think it's something that we have to really get down in our heart and our spirit because if we don't, we'll live this bland Christian life that God never wanted us to live. He wants us to live abundant life. And that abundant life should be uh, really radiating out of you and me to other people around us that they want what we have. Can I hear an amen? amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. So what I want to do this morning is just talk to you about a biblical spiritual awakening. This is when Israel has come home. They've been in bondage for 70 long years. And the Bible tells us, verse 1, the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from uh, facing the square before the water gate from early morning unto midday in the presence of the men and the women who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is the remnant. This is Israel coming home. There are 42,360 people from Israel coming home. Now, they've been bondage for 70 long years. They're coming back to their homeland, and God is awakening them to who they are, what he has planned for them, and their relationship with him. Now, it's very interesting here that these people, the 42,360, we have this exact number in your Bible, they're coming back because they know what it's like not to be right with God. Whenever you're not right with God, how many of you know you go into bondage? And that's where they've been for 70 years. Folks, when you've messed up, how many of you know being right's better than being wrong? 
Now, this is what Carrie tells me. She says, Mike, you'll never go wrong by doing what's right. Isn't that a profound message? But it's true. Now, there are some elements to this today that I want to give to you because America needs a spiritual awakening. We have a lot of things going on in our land that obviously I don't agree with and hopefully you don't agree with, but what are the elements of a turnaround? What's the elements of an awakening, a reviving, uh, something that's allowing our lives to be changed? So I want to give you just a few things this morning. Number one is that a move of God begins with unity. A move of God begins with unity. Now, did you see it there? They gather together as one man or one person. It means that they got together in the unity because disunity will always be horrible for all of us. And folks in America, we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have liberals, we have conservatives, we have this side and that side. How many of you just want to be on the side that's right? Let's just do what's right. Let, let's leave the labels. Let's just do what's right. And sometimes maybe one side leans more to the right than the other. But how many of you know there's everybody who is not always what they seem to be? So today we need some unity. Unity with God, unity with others. And we can't be out of step with God. We can't be out of what he wants instead of what we want. We can't be walking with him and then trying to walk our own direction. It's going to take some unity for us to have this kind of spiritual awakening. In Psalm 133, most of you know how that psalm goes. It says how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to be in unity. He says there's something dynamic about being in unity and he describes it like the priest that poured the oil on the high priest, Aaron, who is having this oil drip off of him, off his garments, off the skirt of his garments. And think with me that down to his feet as he walks, he leaves this oily footprint of the anointing wherever he goes. Isn't that what we need? We need people to be walking in unity with God because out of that unity, we get on a path that we shouldn't be on. And that's how they got to where they were. 70 years of separation from their homeland. So we need this type of unity. 120 times in your Bible, this word that's used for unity here is also used in the word together or togetherness. How many of you know unity is together? Being tied together is unity. Old Brother Ben used to say, you can tie two tomcats together by the tail. That's not unity. <laughs> Some of you get that on the way home. But unity is coming together with God, coming together with each other, and allowing the dynamics of the Holy Spirit to begin to work in our midst. Paul began to deal with this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, do you know you have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit? Which means you've got to work at it. It doesn't come easy. Sometimes you have your way, I have my way, and God has his way. So we have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do you realize it's really easy to get crossways? You don't even have to try to get crossways. Sometimes Carrie and I get crossways. It's always her fault, but we get crossways. <laughs> you know, we've been cleaning up the yard, and uh, I don't know, I, 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 I'm not trying to exaggerate, but I would guess we have bagged up about 30 bags of leaves out of our flower bed and our yard. And, and she's a horrible taskmaster. So, so all day Friday, we worked on that. And uh, I'm just thinking, Carrie, can we quit now? It's 7 o'clock. And uh, 
you know, you just got to just keep on going. But, you know, we're, we're together doing some things. So you have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Then when you get down to verse number 13, he says we also have to be in the unity of the faith. Not only do we have to be in the unity of the Spirit, but we got to be in the unity of the faith. I don't even know it's important that we believe the right thing. And we have to do the right thing. Amos said this, can two walk together unless they be agreed? If we're not in agreement or unity, then we're going to be headed a different direction. So we need to be in unity with God. And they knew what it was like to be out of step with God. It leads you to bondage and captivity for 70 years. And now they're coming back and saying, God, we want to be right with you. Do you want to be right with God today? I do. The, the, the consequences are horrible. We want to be right with God. Unity is a big deal. And some people, they're striving all the time because they're just not in unity with God. Here's the second thing that's really remarkable about this passage. Revival, renewal, spiritual awakening begins with the Word of God. It begins with the Word of God. You cannot have revival or an awakening without the Word of God. We need the gospel. Can I hear an amen? So you and I, we are here today to hear the Word of God. I'm not making this up. This is actually the Word of God. These people were hungry for the Word of God. They have not really heard the Word like they wanted for 70 long years. You know, if you hadn't eaten in a while, you get hungry. And your soul is hungry for the things of God. Your spirit is hungry for the things of God. And so here they are. Notice in this passage, Ezra didn't come out and say, I'm going to preach to you. The people said, Ezra, please give us the word of God. Now, these people are hungry for Ezra to bring the word. Now, notice in verse 3, he read from early morning unto midday. Let's say he started at 8 o'clock in the morning. I know that's early for a lot of us. 8 o'clock, early in the morning, and he went to midday, that's noon. Do you realize that's four hours? And you think I'm a long-winded preacher. If Ezra was here, he'd preach to you for four hours long. The Bible says he was up on a wooden platform called a pulpit, first-time pulpits mentioned in your Bible. Here he is at a pulpit for four hours. The people are standing in front of him thinking, when is he going to quit? I want to go to Applebee's. <laughs> For four hours, he's giving the word of God. Look at verse 6, uh, verse 3, from, from morning to midday, and all the ears, verse 3, of the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were listening. The word had their attention. Verse 6, and the people responded by saying, Amen. Amen. Say that with me. Amen. Amen. Not only were they listening, they were responding. You know why? Because they were hungry for the word. Now, I realize if you came in here today and you came from a church, they were, there was no really uh, demonstration or affection for the word or really you came from a place that people didn't say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, raise their hands or clap, then you may say, this is the craziest bunch I've ever been around. Well, let me tell you something. This is a crazy bunch here in the Word of God. Because as the Word came forth, they responded to the Word. And, and I know for every person who stood on this platform, every preacher, every pastor, every singer, every musician, anyone who's ever been in front of a crowd, if you don't get any response from the crowd, it is a lonely trip. <laughs> it's a lonely trip. And, and some of you, and I have a view you don't have from up here. I can see everybody. Don't you think I don't see you? 
Don't you fold your hands and close your eyes and I think you're praying. <laughs> when you're up here and you're trying to deliver the word of God, you know what you want? You want hungry people out there. You want people who want to soak it up. You want them to say, amen, so be it. That's true. We believe this. This is the word of God. There will be no revival, no awakening, no renewal until the word of God is preached with clarity and boldness and power. The word is the bread that we need to feed the inner man. And so we have to come to say, I desire the word of God. They're revived and renewed in the hunger and the passion of God's word. In Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible, verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. You know what the psalmist is saying? I desire your word more than being rich. But wouldn't we like all America to say that? And there's nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. It's the priority out of place. That's the trouble. And you've heard me say many times, if you've got money you don't want, give it to me. But it's not the money, it's not the riches, it's riches and money out of priority. God has to be first. These people knew what it was like not to put God first. Let me tell you why. Because when you don't put God first, you go into bondage. You don't put God first, something happens you don't want. And they had 70 years of it. So now they're hearing the word of God. They're saying, you're right, Ezra. This is the word of God. Amen. I want to receive this. And the psalmist says, I delight in your testimony. Matter of fact, in Psalm 119, he uses this 10 times. I delight in your testimony. I delight in your law. I delight in your commandments. I delight in your word. Let me tell you, we should delight in the word of Almighty God. We should be hungering and thirsting after the word of God. Folks, there are people all around the world today that would love to have a sanctuary like this, a padded pew for you to sit on, an air conditioner, a heater so that they could come in without someone that's going to arrest them or kill them or torture them. There are millions of people in China and in the Middle East and Africa that would love the opportunity that America has and we don't value it like we should. We should be valuing the Word of God. Revival awakening becomes priority in revival, renewal, in the Word of God. Here's the third thing. It includes worship. Say that with me. It includes worship. A move of God is going to include worship. Just like we stood a moment ago, we lifted our hands, we lifted our voice, we lifted our life. It includes worship. Look with me at verse 6. And all the people answered, and they said, Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Not only did they receive the word of God, not only did they acknowledge this is the word, I'm excited about the word, but they lifted their hands and they did what? They worshiped. Worship is very, very important. Well, pastor, what's so important about worship? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Worship puts our focus on God. Worship puts our focus on God. You know, this is not just about me. It's not just about you. I I don't want to burst your bubble. But the world doesn't revolve around you. We live in a selfie, selfish generation. 
Terry and I were commenting this week uh, in October, we were at the Grand Canyon. We weren't just in uh, one part of the Grand Canyon. We was in a particular part of the Grand Canyon. We were on the Wallapai Indian Reservation. And uh, there, this last week, there was a a, a visitor to the United States, a tourist, that fell off the very place that we had visited. And he dropped 1,000 feet to his death, and they had to get a helicopter to take his body out. Now, I'm sure that was just 1,000 feet to the next ridge, but, you know, someplace with the Grand Canyon is a mile deep. And we were at that very exact place, and it's kind of scary. Do you realize there's not a guardrail all around the Grand Canyon? When you get there, you got to be careful, because you can just walk you know, over and you could fall. And we were at this place where they call it the Skywalk or the Sky Bridge. Anybody ever been there? The, the Skywalk and Sky Bridge is uh, actually run by the Wallapai Indians and what they did, they, they built this big archway out over the Grand Canyon and put a glass floor in it. And they'll put little uh, booties on you. Kind of like a surgeon or a nurse wears. They want to scratch up the glass. So Carrie and I put our little booties on. We begin to walk over the skywalk and the skyway. And your knees will do funny things. You're walking out there, and someplace it's a mile deep, and you look down there, and there's nothing but glass under your feet. And you're kind of doing this. Now, I realize that glass is about that thick, and we're probably not going to fall. But I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be safe that I don't. And so, you know, that area is very, very dangerous. Now, have you ever seen someone trying to take a selfie and they're backing up, trying to get in position? I don't know what happened to this guy, and it's a horrible thing, but let me tell you what happens. Sometimes we're so consumed about ourselves, we just fall. We fall into traps, we fall into holes, we fall off the gutter, we, we fall, you know, off the curb. Uh, listen, when you get so absorbed in yourself, it is not a good thing. Worship begins to put your focus on God. And listen, sometimes we can be self-centered, but worship brings me back to the reality that God is my source and my shift begins to be my focus on the problem solver instead of the problem itself. So worship does that. The second thing worship does, it begins to lift me up over the problems and the issues of my life. Anybody have problems here? Anybody have issues here? If you don't, touch me after the service. <laughs> have you ever taken off in a plane? It's been dreary, foggy, rainy, maybe even a storm. And you take off and, you know, it's, the storm's going on and you go up through the mist and the rain and the clouds and then all of a sudden you break out of it. And you get to a point where you break out, you're over the storm, and the sun is shining, but you know there's a storm underneath you. And when you and I worship, can I tell you that sometimes worship will just lift you over the storm? And worship will lift you over the dilemma and the problem and the issue. And instead of worry, worship. Instead of complaining, worship. Instead of getting that weak feeling and that fear. Just worship. You know what worship does? It begins to lift you up. begins to renew your soul. begins to lift you up to places that you want to be because it gets us over some of the things that we just worry about. The third thing is worship celebrates who God is in my life. When I begin to worship, I begin to look at the greatness of God. This is who God is. He's my heavenly father. He's my creator. He's my provider. He's my redeemer. He's my savior. He's all in all. 
So when I worship, I begin to look at God in a way that possibly I didn't look at him in that moment. He's my very present help in my time of need. So worship celebrates who God is. This is what these people are doing. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You've made heaven, you've made the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You know what they're doing? They're saying, God, you're God, you're creator, you created everything, everything in the earth is yours, everything in the sea is yours, everything in heaven's yours. And not only am I worshiping you, God, heaven is worshiping you. Do you realize when you and I get to heaven, there'll be a lot of worship in heaven? You know what's going on right now according to Scripture? The living creatures around the throne of God, and this is what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when they finish, you know what they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when they finish, you know what they do? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why do they keep doing that? Because they can never exhaust the greatness and the holiness of the God that you and I serve. That's how big God is. They're worshiping God in heaven. And guess what? The will on the earth should be as the same in heaven. We ought to be worshiping God because it really gets us celebrating who God is. The fourth thing about worship is it gives us access to the presence of God. You remember Psalm 100? Make a joyful noise or shout unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. He has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with Praise, be thankful to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. So what do I do in worship and in praise, thanksgiving? I enter the presence of God and the presence of God enters into me. If there was ever a time we need the presence of God, folks, it's today. If America ever needed a healing, it's today. If we ever needed some new focus, it's today. Can I hear an amen? Goodness gracious. The, the White House is not going to fix this. The Congress is not going to fix this. Let me tell you where it's going to be fixed at. It's going to be fixed at your house and my house and God's house. That's where it's going to be fixed. There needs to be a spiritual awakening in the house of God. And I can't expect Ruth to do it or Cheryl to do it or Lisa to do it. I've got to have my own awakening. Because revival really begins with worship and entertaining the presence of Almighty God. How many of you know you, you can't have revival without the presence of God? You can't work it up. You, you can't entertain it enough. You can't have enough smoke and mirrors and lights to do it. Nothing wrong with those. There's got to be a real presence of God. And it begins with you and it begins with me. Here's the fourth thing revival and spiritual renewal generates generosity. It generates generosity. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. There are some people, they're just not prepared to receive the blessing. So now you can give to those who are not prepared. You know, one of the things that, that I realize that, that we are very blessed at, this church has always been a generous church. We don't get up and 
preach two or three sermons every other week about giving. We, we don't ever say, we didn't get enough. We're going to go one more time with the offering. <laughs> Have you ever been in church when they do that? I'm going to hold up both hands. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, if people are really awakened spiritually, if they're revived in their spirit, if they have that renewal in their life, you don't have to tell someone to be generous because the very nature of God is generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is the greatest giver in the universe. Can I hear an amen? So guess what his children do? They're very generous. They give. The children of God, they give. Look at this. Verse 10, he says, you send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. You remember this guy in the New Testament by the name of Zacchaeus, Luke 19? Did you ever sing it in church? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was... Okay, I won't sing it all. Thank you. Zacchaeus must have had a spiritual awakening, and let me tell you how I know it. He is hated by the Jews. He is a Jew. He is a publican or a tax collector. And in verse number 8 of Luke 19, when Jesus comes to his house, he has this powerful encounter with Christ. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. How many of you know Zacchaeus before and Zacchaeus after is a different Zacchaeus? What happened? He's renewed, he's awakened, he's revived, and the spirit of generosity comes with that renewal. You don't have to beg people to give if they're right with God. Somebody say amen. They give because it's their nature. They give because they're renewed, they're revived. The early church was that way. Acts 4. The Bible says, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. You know why? Because if they had lands or houses or goods, if they needed something, someone came up to supply that need. There should be no one at Ray of Hope Church that should ever go hungry. How many of you believe that's a good policy? And if you ever do, it's because you didn't ask. We should take care of our own and also be generous, not only inside these walls, but outside these walls. Matter of fact, you need to pray today. We have a team that's headed to Africa right now. They're headed to Africa. They should land sometime today. And guess what they're going to do for a week or so? They're going to share the gospel. They're going to preach the word. They're going to be generous in giving. And so today they went, we sent. So what, what do you do? If you're revived, you have a spirit of generosity. Acts uh, chapter 4 says that's what happened at that early church. They laid the need at the apostles' feet for them to give to those who had need. And then in Nehemiah chapter 7, it says they began to build the temple. What happened to the first one, Pastor? Solomon's temple was destroyed. The Babylonians came in and they demolished that temple. And now he's calling a man by the name of Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. And guess how they rebuilt the temple? This 40-something thousand remnant began to give toward that work. I love this passage. There were some people who came back after 70 years of captivity that remembered the first temple. How many of you know most people didn't remember the first one? Now think about these older men that maybe they were 10, 11, 5, 6, maybe even 20. 
And now, 70 years later, at 90, 80, 85, they're watching them lay those foundation stones again and come up with that temple again. And the Bible says the older men just begin to weep. They begin to cry because they remember the glory of the former house. And now the house is being built. And now they're rejoicing because God is what? Renewing the nation. Bringing them back together. Restoring worship. And now they're weeping before God. They're thankful for, before God because God is doing something marvelous in their midst. Remember the story about the little girl. The dad gave his little daughter two dollars. Said, now honey, here's the deal. One dollar is God's. The other one's for you to do anything you want. Boy, she jumped out of the house and running to the candy store. She fell down and the wind blew one of the dollars away from her. And she said, Lord, I'm sorry, there went your dollar. <laughs> How many of you know somebody like that? Don't shout their name out. But sometimes that's the way we are. But here's the right attitude. Do you remember J.L. Kraft? J.L. Kraft is the guy who started the Kraft Food Company. Has anybody here ever eaten any Kraft macaroni and cheese? If you lie, you fry. Okay. No. We, we've all probably had some Kraft macaroni and cheese. This is what J.L. Kraft said. He was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He said, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I've given to the Lord. Here's this multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He said, the only thing that I've seen continually increase in my life is what I've given to the Lord. But that's just what the Lord does. Do you know the economy of heaven will never crash? The Lord said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. You know what he's saying? You're my kids. I'm going to take care of you. But how many you know there's principles to that? And when we meet those principles, when we're renewed spiritually, we have this attitude of gratitude and this spirit of generosity. Now, not only generosity of the goods, but the generosity of their grace. Say that with me. The generosity of their grace. And I want to end on this today. The generosity of their grace. What does that mean? God loves you. You need to love somebody else. God's forgiven you. You forgive somebody else. God's given you grace. You need to give somebody else grace. God's given you hope. You need to give somebody else hope. So not just our material goods. Not just our finances. But what's in us. You know what the Bible says? You need to give an answer to the hope that's within you. So you and I have hope. We have great hope because of Jesus Christ. So we want to see this grace, love, and hope of God shared, and we want to see it reciprocate over and over and over. Today in our service, Tammy's here. I greet her out in the foyer this morning, and I met her two weeks ago. Tammy was a first-time guest and first time that I'd met Tammy, and I said, Tammy, we're so glad that you're here. We're glad that you came. And so then Tammy... Um, last Wednesday night, brought Tara with her. And today, Tara brought her husband with her. And it's something like uh, Billy last Sunday talking about going to the jail and visiting women in the jail. And then when one young lady got out of the jail, then she's here with Billy the next week. L let me tell you something. Th this is what revival is. Th this is what renewal is. This is what spiritual awakening is. God does this to me and I share it with other people. Amen. Wednesday night when I was teaching Bible study, we talked about this one parable that Jesus gave. 
He said, the kingdom of God is like... Would you say that with me? The kingdom of God is like... Let's all say it together. The kingdom of God is like... It's like a mustard seed that's planted. He said, the mustard seed is so small, you could even get it lost in the palm of your hand. It is the smallest seed of the earth. But when you put it in the right soil, you get it in the right condition, it grows to be greater than all the herbs, so high that the birds can lodge in the branches of that mustard seed. You know how this works? That someone like Tammy goes to someone like Tara and Tara goes to somebody else and Billy goes to the jail and that person responds and, and then you share and then I share and somebody else's shares and this little bitty thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger. This kingdom is like, it's like a man who wears funny clothes and eats crazy food that doesn't preach in town and doesn't have a wooden pulpit and, and he's not in the community. He goes to the wilderness. But this is while he's preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this guy who wears funny clothes and eats funny food is preaching. You, you, you don't get him to come to you. You had to go to him. And then Jesus comes along preaching the kingdom of heaven. Then disciples come along preaching the kingdom of heaven. Starts here, then goes here, and then here. And over 2,000 years later, there are billions of people in the kingdom of heaven. How did it happen? Just one little bitty seed. But that one little bitty seed began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Can I hear any man? Amen. What does it look like? When you plant it, people get hungry for the Word of God. When you plant it, they begin to worship God. They, de they develop this generous spirit to share what God's done for them, both physically, financially, spiritually. It looks something like this. Marriages are being put back together. People repent of their sins. People begin to come to the house of God. And please understand, I know you can worship God at home. You, you can sing in your car. You can praise God at your office and at your desk and in your practice. But there's something dynamic that happens in corporate worship. There's something that dynamically happened in Nehemiah chapter 8. All of these 40 plus thousand people, your attention please, came together in one place before the water gate to hear the word of God and God began to move supernaturally in their lives. Their nation began to be restored back together. The things that they had done in the past that was wrong, they began to make it right. They began to worship God and as they worshiped, God blessed them. The temple began to grow up from the ground in construction God began to put their lives back in order. Folks, we're not here to build a physical house, but we're here to build a spiritual house. Marriage is restored. Lives healed. People getting free from addictions. People sharing their faith. Hearts changed. That's how you know a real revival takes place. It's not just a series of meetings. It's every time we come in here, we feel the presence of God. And we want to be here. Not only do we want to be here, we want other people to be here. 
I've told you many times every Sunday morning, almost without fail, I'm praying for this house to be filled. But not just with people. You want to know how I pray? God, fill this house with your people. But fill it with your presence. Fill it with salvation. Fill it with hope. Fill it with love. Fill it with healing. Fill it with deliverance. Because I believe that as the word of God is preached and the Holy Spirit deals with your heart, that you can leave this place different than you walked in. I, I, I've experienced that personally. You said, Pastor, what does that look like? I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't treat Carrie like I used to treat her. I don't go places I used to go. I don't do things that I used to do. And this is not about what you don't do. It's about doing what you want to do now. And those things are history. This is not a book about don'ts. This is a book about becoming who God wants you to become. Can I hear an amen? Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.